Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. This is for wheat commencing 19th of November 2018. Wheat, uh, well, we're, we're in the middle of uh, some rather exciting uh, Conservative Party politics and Brexit at the moment. Um, I think today we will end up with a, a, a leadership contest and therefore the pound might do some strange dancing around. So any predictions have the caveat of subject to sterling's movements. Feed wheat is worth for, for November £162 a tonne, which is about the same as last week. Uh, it's the same price as feed barley, so it hasn't really moved. December 163 x farm for feed wheat. There's nothing particularly exciting going on. There's lots of farmer uh, grain to be moved. And and an observation I would make is that a number of the consumers have not put all of their fixings in yet for the month. And it it strikes me they might be wanting to push some tonnage into December. That doesn't bode particularly well for, for usage. So slightly concerning and a slightly bearish sign. But yes, a, a nondescript week other than the politics and the currency movements. As far as exports are concerned, I don't think there's been any more trades done out of the UK in the last week, although with, with the weaker sterling, maybe, just maybe, we can get a few more boats away, which in the end would be good for everybody. Prospects on new crop uh, have improved a bit with the weaker sterling. There has been some farmer selling because people have got more acreage of, of wheat in, perhaps 10% up in our area. I think that there's a, there's a balance between the farmers coming off the land and doing a bit of selling and the weaker sterling. And there are also one or two bullish signs creeping around in the world. There's, there's one or two crops that aren't developing quite so well. There's been some dry areas in Eastern Europe. There's been not perfect conditions everywhere. So consequently, it isn't all one-way traffic. If you look at just the UK, it is quite a bearish picture because we have a big production figure, uh, bigger than our usage, and we also have the uncertainty of whether we're going to be able to export or not. And that, that is a genuine threat to your business if you're a farmer, if, if a no deal comes through. Moving on to oilseed rape, well, that's gone up. Our, our marvellous rape trader, Mr Webster, has, um, has, has got it right. 325x for November, or new crop prices 312, which is a couple of pounds higher on the new crop and about a fiver up on the on the old, uh, all currency related. But there's some crop estimates out for new crop on rape, which say that uh, French is about 25% down in in terms of area, Germans 10 to 15% down, and the UK 10% down, which is which is a bullish uh, underlying um, factor. Taking a much longer term view, uh, a big thing happened this week in Europe. Um, obviously, now we're leaving, it's it's kind of relevant or less relevant, maybe. But there, the, an EU mandate was signed to to phase out biofuel or usage of wheat and oilseed rape directly into biofuel by 2030. It's to do with land being ploughed up and, and being put into these crops. We'll have more details on that as time goes on, but it's, it's on the basis of sustainability. And we think that... Um, that can't be a very good bit of news for all seed rape production in the long term. Malting barley, 
that's kind of got to... If you had perfect concerto under 1.6 nitrogen and you waved it around in front of the noses of, of, of merchants or molster alike, they'd all be very, very nice to you. So maybe, maybe you have got that sample, do that. Do a spot of flirting. Um, it would be worth in excess of £220 a tonne, uh, X your farm, and yes, as I say, everyone would be really lovely. The more normal uh, products, you know, your, your, your different varieties that is used more for brewing perhaps or hasn't got the spec for distilling... In the region of £190 a tonne, still a brilliant price, not the best it's been all the way through the year, but probably worth, as we get in the next couple of weeks, it might be worth checking out the values of it and just see who the buyers are. Um, I don't think there's a rush, but I think you'd need to be selling it or trading it by the time you get to the end of February. So just, just maybe just have a little sniff around, see who the buyers are, see what the values are, and maybe... Don't take the risk of keeping it in your shed and losing the germination and, and get it flogged. Because if there is a buyer paying enough money, I, you know what are you waiting for? Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The family-run West Barsham Estate near Fakenham is home to the Barsham Brewery. North Norfolk's sea air and unique microclimate helps them to produce some of the best malting barley in the world. At West Barsham, they grow Maris Otter barley, malted just down the road at Chris Maltings, and then blended with water from their very own well. They specialise in wholesome, traditional beer styles, with a real focus on quality and consistency, and are very proud to be the purveyors of a homegrown product in the truest sense. Available on tap in many local Norfolk pubs, or by appointment at West Barsham. For more details, visit barshambrewery.co.uk. And now it's time for our feature. Today, I'm going to touch on something that you might not be expecting. Uh, Health. The farming community and the grain trading community uh, don't always have the healthiest of lifestyles. So this morning, I've got with me uh, Dr Paul Everton, who's been a GP in North Walsham for 30 years, or over 30 years. Um, and nowadays, he's part of his time, he's spending uh, giving knowledge back, working at the UEA in Norwich. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Andrew. Thank well, you for asking me along today. My pleasure. In fact, this is the second time this morning we've said good morning, isn't it? Because it is. um, Paul and I have been meeting every morning at 6am and exercising Absolutely. The, almost, I think we're counting up for the last 23 years. Um, 6 a.m. is a wonderful time to exercise. Yeah, well, it's the only time to exercise when you've got young kids, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, so, so this morning we, we ran for half a mile, had a little chat, and then we went back into the shed and we did a load of weights, didn't we? We did, we did. Now, as, as, you, as many of you know, I'm, I'm um, incredibly fit. Got a six-pack and, um, you know, I carry the healthy amount of weight as well <laughs> that's why we're on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> and paul is a stick insect let's get on to the the the, the health of well you you can talk generally but you know i, I have a, a collective of farmers who spend a lot more time in their office nowadays and i've got a grain trade that are sitting at their desks on the phone on their computers all day long what would you say to to people who've been doing this job for a, a period of time is the best thing they can do as a as a, as a first statement well, I think the first thing is recognising the fact that looking after your health is 
probably got to be your almost priority in life. We only realise how important health is when we lose it, and unfortunately I see a lot of that. So it's wonderful to have the opportunity sometimes to talk about how we stay fit, how do we maintain our health. And that ranges in, so I believe that taking responsibility for your own health is very important, as opposed to thinking, well, if I go and see my GP, he will always fix me. It's much, much better not to be fixed and to be healthy all the time. I suppose the first thing to look at when you've got busy lifestyles and you're working all the time is to think, what sort of exercise do, do I do? Do I do any exercise? And if I do, how does it help me? We found six o'clock in the morning was the only time, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And, and I think, you know, once you get, it's almost getting a routine. When people ask me about how on earth do you get up at six o'clock to, to do exercise? Well, it's the only time I have to do exercise. And once you get into a routine, it just seems the normal. It's almost strange not to. And I must admit, sometimes I've got into work and thought, do you know what, I've already started my day in a wonderful way. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite, quite special, really. Yeah, well, spending time with me is special, Paul. <laughs> Absolutely, Andrew. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I will confess that at, you know, quarter to six when I'm getting up in my house and it's dark outside and it's raining and I'm putting the head torch on because uh, in rural Swanton Abbott and Westwick there's no streetlights or pavements and there's lots of, uh, you know, debris on the road quite often. It's a bit precarious, and it is pretty miserable, isn't it? At times, yeah, but I, I suppose sometimes you can do something that gives you an, a massive reward. Um, the very fact you've achieved it and done it is really, I think, is really important. Is it guilt that wakes you up, though, in the morning? No, it's want to get out there. It's start the day. <laughs> starting the day. I'm a, I'm a morning person. Getting up in the morning and starting the day, is, is, for me, is really important. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself... Oh, my doctor's going to criticise me for not being <laughs> up there down the road. Well, there's a motivation knowing that your grain trade is going to turn up on your front door and knock on it. And if you're not out of bed, you're going to look pretty silly. So. Yeah, OK, fair comment. I, I, th- I think, I mean, by the end of every session, we're, we always come out of that room positive, don't we? Absolutely. It's, it's, that is truly, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mental uh, exercise yeah. as much as it is a physical one. So I, I definitely recommend finding a slot to do yeah. exercise and i think the other thing you need to think about with exercise and, and the evidence now is coming out really strongly to suggest that if you're going to exercise you have to do this thing called hit and hit is this high intensity exercise where you've got to raise your pulse you've got to sweat a bit there's no point in doing these long slow duration runs they give you little benefit compared to you're better off going and doing short hard bursts um, in a controlled way preferably with your GP on hand, um, to make sure everything stays safe. But that, there's evidence now is that is the way to do it. Yeah, so all you fat boys out there, don't go sprinting up the road this, uh, you know, this <laughs> afternoon unless you've got your GP with you. Yeah, get your checkup first. <laughs> Which is interesting because that brings us nicely on to checkups. Yeah, um, one seamless. Of the, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I think is so important is that we forget, especially as blokes, that you know sometimes you know just getting a few checkups is a good idea we do it with our car we send our car in every year for a service you know sometimes we might even check the tire pressures <laughs> but when do we last do anything on ourselves like that and and i think you know the or i know the nhs is under massive strain but even so we still encourage patients to come in just simple things like getting their blood pressure checked, maybe bringing in a urine sample so we can just check to make sure there's no blood in it. Picking up these things really early can make a difference between having something that is fixable and something that isn't. You know? So, so I mean, right, so the layman who doesn't go to the doctors unless, you know, something's fallen off, yeah. uh, phone up, get the very officious person on the on reception and say, please, get an appointment. 
And then <clears throat> you just don't need to see a doctor, you can see a nurse, can't you? Yeah, just say, well, I would like to have a blood, a urine yeah. and a... We do, a, we do healthcare assistant checks now where you come in, you have a blood pressure done, um, you have a urine dip, we take a little sample of blood to check your cholesterol, which, again, working in stressful environments, you know, it's all geared up to put your cholesterol up. There's no doubt about that. He's smiling because he knows I've got high cholesterol. <laughs> Grabbing food, you know, this sort of, you know, the jam donuts come around the office and it just sort of the temptation is just too strong and you think, ah, it's only the one. So, yeah, cholesterol check. And then we go from there, really, in terms of other things that you need to have tested. So what, once every six months, once every 12 months? I think every 12 months. If you're, if you're pretty fit, then once every 12 months, is just gonna, it'll catch things early. Right, you lot. I've, I haven't been and done that for hmm. at least two years, so I'm going to go and do that. And I recommend all of you make that appointment, go and find out if there's something not quite right early. Yeah, absolutely. A question I get often now is as men get over 50, they come in and say, but what about my prostate dog? Um, uh, if you're not aware of what your prostate is, it's a little gland that you've got in the body that sits around there, does very little, possibly nothing for you, but at the same time, it has that risk of changing. And then as we get older, it changes, it grows in size and therefore makes passing our water a little bit harder. But the risk is that sometimes that can change and become cancer. And again, if we can pick this up early, then that is fantastic. Now, the sad thing is we don't have a screening test for prostate cancer. Everyone says, can I have the blood test done? Well, you can have the blood test done, but the blood test isn't 100% accurate. You can get it as wrong as much as you can get it right. So really, it's a combination of you starting to recognize when your water works aren't going as normal. You know, it's a little bit harder to pass your water, a little bit harder to start. Sometimes you find you're getting up a couple of times at night to pass your water. That's when you haven't had a few beers. Um, and that's the time really to come and see your GP and say, you know, can I get this checked out? I've got to confess, I had to, I had the blood test done because you, you have it at 50 anyway, don't you? I, I well, it's not a screening test, so no, you don't really. only get it done. I mean, you probably got it on, you know, special circumstances. No, no, you, you, were, you were on holiday. You had, you'd gone off on, uh, on a bit of a trip. You had a, a, few, a, a month or so off, and uh, so I, I got this appointment. I came in. And uh, the, the, the blood, um, what's the, the measurement on the blood, which kind of... The, the PSA, prostate-specific prostate antigen is the test yeah. that we do. So I, I had a nice low reading on that. Mm. And I took one look at the, the, the doctor's fat little fingers and I thought, will that do, doc? <laughs> <laughs> well, and he said, well, you haven't got to have... I said, okay, <laughs> I'm off then. <laughs> Te- technically, if you really want to have the best advice on it then it is about the history what's changed in terms of your waterworks and then the fabulous examination that (laughs) men don't really look forward to but actually it is really simple and ever so quick uh, which then gives us some information direct information about the size of the prostate and what it feels like then of course the blood test put those three together you've got a much better prediction of whether you've got a problem or not yeah okay so andrew notice yeah well i've got to find a doctor i brought some gloves (laughs) 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 yeah no i think i'll give that a miss today thanks paul (laughs) right moving on um diet yeah, diet is, um, uh, you know, when you're at work, it tends to be, sometimes it's grab what you can when you can. Um, I, I think 
the, the key thing about diet is watching the amount of sugar we take. We, we talk about fats in our diet, but actually some fats are really important and a lot of the, our vitamins are fat-based and we need that. The worst thing really is sugar when you're not doing anything. If you're not doing any exercise and you're sitting around at a computer screen all day, then you don't need loads and loads of sugar. What's the body going to do with it? It's not going to burn it because you're not doing anything, so it just stores it and that's why you get fat. So sugar's worse than most things. Hidden sugar. Everybody forgets there's a lot of sugar in drinks. You know, a can of something usually contains a meal worth of sugar. And, of course, the famous alcohol. Alcohol contains vast amounts of useless sugar that we just store around our middle. He's grinning. Right, you need to understand just how (laughs) difficult it is to be a grain trader when (laughs) the product that you sell makes beer and whiskey and gin and you, you name it every alcoholic drink so all your customers yeah. produce these wonderful products and you turn up and go no i don't drink i suppose everything in moderation andrew everything in moderation well, that's me <laughs> <laughs> the first part of the evening's moderate unless i go out with my mate my mate munty then uh, then all hell breaks loose um no i you're right everybody knows these things and i don't this isn't a nagging session but this is like let's get real about it i i yeah, yeah, I went to the pub last night. I had an utterly miserable couple of things happening in the day yesterday, and I just phoned up my mate Dennis and went down the pub, mm. and um, it was great actually. Only you know, a couple of pints, and there it is on my belly this morning. <laughs> That's why it's so hard on those chin-ups, was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly it seemed a bit tougher than last time I tried it. Yeah, I suppose um, the other thing <clears> to think about diet really is to think about um, actually trying to enjoy your food. Um, what we tend to do with our diet is we eat for the sake of eating and sometimes we've forgotten what we've eaten because we just shovel it in because it's fuel and actually just to slow down a little bit and think about what you're eating is probably the most effective way to eat a little less and eat a little healthier. And and, we're, and there's a, a lot at the moment about red meat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, the, it used to be, um, it was a Sunday roast, wasn't it? And that was your meat. Now you can have meat every single day. And certainly that's not healthy. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that if you are a meat eater, red meater every single day, your risk of bowel cancer is a lot higher. And on that note, interestingly, uh, we're very lucky in East Anglia because we're on a, um, a bowel cancer screening program, which means that you will get an offer age 55 for someone to pop a little tube up the back passage to have a look and make sure it's all clear and also to collect samples on a five-yearly basis. <coughs> so again, one of those things that aren't very popular, but it's amazing how many people don't take up the offer. You know, I see that regularly in surgery where, you know, the, the report comes back from the hospital that patient declined. And, you know, this is a service that you should not miss. I mean, no one wants to have it done, but my goodness, it keeps you safe. That I must, I, I did take up the kind offer and um, it was certainly an experience. I mean, <laughs> I, a lasting memory of, um, you know, you go to <laughs> take your clothes off and they put this gown on you. And, and I, I remember walking through and there's this guy sitting there waiting ahead of me and he sat there with his gown on and he had his shoes and socks on. And, and I thought, that really looks naff, doesn't it? Uh, no, I'm going to have to go. But hang on, I'm walking barefoot around the hospital now. This doesn't feel right either. So uh, you know, always trendy. I decided to go for the beach look and took my shoes and socks off, and I did feel better about that. <laughs> but it's funny how you can, you know, diffuse the reality of what's about to happen to you by thinking about something stupid. Yeah. And and I, I will also say that that the, the team of people in there doing that particular. Um, process you know they obviously they have to do it all day long and people are incredibly embarrassed by it 
And that they had a trainee person who was talking to me to keep me calm. Yes. And uh, so I'm lying on my side with this person going, now this isn't going to hurt. <laughs> you won't feel much pain. <laughs> and I had to, I had to come, come to my side. You know, we, we, we did some training several years ago, when, you know, lots of years ago when we first met, and um, where we, we looked at reframing uh, words and, and, and use of language. And this poor person was coming out with these things. Mm. And I, I said, right, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about patients. Never use the words you're using. Just say, you know, nice, calming things and let the, the other person's imagination carry them through it. Because bluntly, yeah, I don't know if there's, a, if there's an NHS training uh, program, but it, it was... Well, communication skills are something that's very important in medicine. Uh, one of the things I do quite extensively in my work at the UEA um, is looking at how we can train our doctors to be more aware of the language they use See, the thing is, as a doctor, we spend most of our time trying to exclude diseases that you might never have thought of. <laughs> and therefore, you know, we tra- it's better not to share that, that knowledge with you. You know, if you hadn't thought of the disease that we're trying to exclude and we exclude it, well, then that's probably best you don't know about it. Uh, but also there's, there has to be that time where you do say, this is what we're looking at, this is what we're thinking about, um, so that the patient can be accepting of it and ready for it if it becomes a diagnosis. Yeah, I must admit, I don't. I don't. That, that side of the job has got to be the worst, has it, has it not? Well, in terms of, if you said to me what is the best part of the job and has always kept me interested, has been, been the diagnostics. To, you know, no one wants to get a bad diagnosis, but they want to know that they've got something so we can make them better. You know, a misdiagnosis is worse than a diagnosis. And therefore, for me, the success for me as a, as a doctor is getting those diagnoses as early as I, as I can because with that we can give them the most help we can. It's there, so let's find it. I'm going to bring it back to grain trading. Last week there was a uh, report that came out that said there's an extra 150 million tonnes of corn in stock in China. And that's like 11 UK wheat harvests consecutively kept in a shed. Oh, look, we've got... 11 consecutive harvests worth of wheat. The diagnostics for that one, that's got to be, there's way too much corn. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Guess what the market did at the end of the day? I think it probably crashed. No, went up. (laughs) You're joking. (laughs) So so figures and diagnosis. We have to diagnose much more, uh, you know, less important things, i.e. how many tonnes are grown, how many tonnes are being consumed, who's messed up their storage what's left and and what time is next harvest and and yeah so there's diagnosis in a much simpler form it's interesting though isn't it that we both use the same sort of reasoning skills to try and make good decisions and i remember you saying to me one 6 a.m morning um how on earth do you go to work and make those decisions about people's lives every day and I said to you, I remember clearly saying to you, how do you, how do you juggle that sums of money every day and, not, and sleep at night? So I think we both have to make difficult decisions, um, but it's about how we support those decisions through our reasoning. It's just noughts on the end, either plus <laughs> or minus. Hopefully there's more pluses and minuses yeah. at the end of the year and you've been a successful trader. That's how it works. Mm. As long as you keep it simple, that's, that's the answer. We've avoided talking about stress and mental health today because we're going to come back to that another day. Mm. We're, uh, we're going to invite you back because there's, there's a lot to be said about that. This is, this is purely, you know, let's get ourselves healthy. Let's go have that health check. 
let's go and find out if there is anything early so we can sort it. Absolutely. And I, but I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, something I've had a, a passion for throughout my career as a GP is looking after people's mental health. Uh, what starts off as a little bit of stress can soon escalate and become a problem on all on its own. Mm. And I think to identify those early warning signs when things aren't going so well in terms of your mental health and feeling able to come and talk about it is so important. So, you, you know, that for me is as much a part of looking after your health as having a blood pressure or all the other things, pleasant mm. things we've been talking about today. Yeah. Okay. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you. Paul cycled in. There'll be a photo on our on our Twitter page with him with his bicycle, his loved bicycle. Absolutely. He just told me he's he's, he's booked into one of the uh, ETAP stages of yeah. the. Uh, it's a stage of the Tour de France that I'm going to be doing again this year. Every year, I um I I try and set myself a physical challenge that I think I won't be able to achieve. Um, and then I raise, hopefully, loads and loads of money for the British Lung Foundation, which is the charity I support. So, yes, yeah, so if anyone's listening to this and thinks, hey, do you think Paul can ride up that massive mountain this year? 35-kilometre climb. Put your money on it. Send me, <laughs> I'll have a Just Giving page. I'll, I'll plug that again next time. Let's He'll, see if we can... I'm already up to £12,000 I've raised so far, and I, can, I want to continue doing that because it's such a great cause. He will achieve the goal, I will tell you that from experience. <laughs> anyway, Paul, you're a superstar. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Cheers. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week, we've got that stout we were talking about the other week, so uh, I'm going to crack that open, Webby. Okay? Looking forward to it. So what have we got? It is the... It's Barsham Brewery's Stout Robin. Um, it is a dark stout beer. It's... Uh, Four point six percent. No, look, so I'm, I'm, I'd have to admit I'm not a stout fan, but I'll uh, yeah, give it a crack. God, it's got a good nose to it. Sn- what do you sniff it for? <laughs> <laughs> it's your pouring technique, Andy. <laughs> yeah, for a stout, I, I enjoy that. It's nice. Yeah, it's not. It's, I, I'm not a stout man, man. I'd have to admit, but yeah, it's a good you're beer. Another, another you're, good. You're a bit fat. <laughs> <laughs> another, another good Barsham Brewery beer. So thank you, Barsham. That's yeah, lovely. Barsham, you're. We love you, Barsham. Mm. Right, this morning, we're going to talk about social media. We've got with us uh, Libby Masters from East Coast Production. And Libby is uh, going to inform the old fellow. And with the help of Ian, who's going to bridge the age gap, I'm going to ask questions about social media in a probably completely ham-fisted and two-footed way. But the point is that my generation is, uh, you know, coming to the end of their career. And there's a whole lot of people, uh, not the farmers of my age, but their sons and their daughters who will be using um, lots more social media and, and communication in a different form. So Libby, good morning and welcome. 
Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on here. My pleasure. Well, yeah. I, under- I understand you've just only just um, joined uh, East Coast Production. Yes, I have, yeah. And I bet you were overwhelmingly delighted to hear that you had an agricultural grain merchant to uh, bring, <laughs> bring I'm so in. excited by it. I'm going to learn everything there is to learn about grain. Excellent. And, and the, well, the first question is, you know, do you think we're going to be able to effectively communicate with our farming community? Definitely. I think social media is such a great way to connect with other people that you probably wouldn't meet. Even if you're going to trade shows and things like that, you might not meet these people, but you can easily find them on social media and you can easily grow on social media and connect with people. And that's basically what social media is all about, is connecting with your audience, but also people do that do what you do. Okay, yeah, well, we've got... We've got a load of people that do what we do listening to us, haven't we, Ian? We have, yeah. Learning from uh, learning from the masters, we've decided. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, right, the first question is, t- just tell me, you know, podcasts, obviously, we're dead yes. modern with that one. Give us some other stuff. What, what, what else is there? Oh, gosh, there's so much. So I think podcast is really good because it's, it's kind of, uh, lots of people are getting into podcasts at the moment. They're a really great way to showcase what you guys are up to. Um, in your industry but you also have twitter so twitter is about a conversation so that's where you can interact with other farmers um your clients who you're trading with um and then you've got instagram that's more for your lovely pictures so instagram so, is photos yeah so instagram's photos yeah so to break it down instagram's photos so um you guys around the place um nice photos of your grain things you're up to maybe even a tractor on there that'd be should, lovely i was just say should we encourage our farmers to send us snaps of what they're yeah. doing on the farm yeah sure you can get those in your stories so you you have an instagram feed so you've got your instagram feed with all of your pictures that will constantly be there but then you also have stories so these can update every day so you can put these in and then it goes as a little circle around your your profile picture and then you can see what people have been up to as they're doing it so it's sort of live stories about what's going on with you at the moment there's surely only so many pictures of tractors you can stand though isn't there i quite like a picture of a tractor so i think i'd quite like it yeah this is what you're up to so you could even take videos as well as pictures and then it's 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 really interactional so it's nice uh, to the farmers known as tractor porn Instagram. What else? What's the other? The other. Okay, so you've got you've got Facebook as well. Okay. So Facebook's really good for promoting your business. So it sort of acts as in between kind of Instagram and Twitter. So it's a mixture. So Twitter, you have your conversation, but Facebook's also conversation, and you can also have your pictures there. How how do you? Andrew's generation, I have to say, the uh, the old timers. Yes. How do you try and get them involved in social media? Is, I, it a, is it a lost cause? I definitely don't think it's a lost cause. I thought it was a lost cause with my parents, actually. We're talking about me being a lost cause. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my dad now has his own Facebook page. I think if you can get people excited about social media and, and teach them how to use it, then that's, it's a really good thing and people will get interested in it. So if they can use the internet, then you could use social media. It's definitely going to grow. We, I, oh, yeah. I get that. I mean, the, the fact we, we have a Twitter site as well, don't we? We do, yes, yeah. The industry that you're in, the audience that you're going to get from your industry, they're all interested in what you're interested in. So if you think that you can tweet about something that you personally find interesting, so will your audience. And that is, that is how it will work. And you can get very conversational with it, um, build up a brand identity, make it more fun. I'd hope, for the, for the sake of our industry, it doesn't go completely down the line of social media. Because for us, it's really important to 
be personal with of our course, guys. Yeah. You know, it's, it's important. But I, I see it working hand in hand. I, I think it's important both legs of it, the personal touch and and the social media side of things. So I mean, whilst we've been talking about this, Andrew, we're um, we're running a giveaway at the moment across our social media platforms: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so yeah, get get involved, go and get across and um, sign yourself up for a chance of winning a um, what's it? I think it's a five hundred pound hamper from uh, sponsored yeah. by Bakers and Lanas. Okay, looks looks like um, this is a brave new world for me, Libby. I'm I'm totally and utterly in your hands. I uh, I'm sure I will irritate the. Uh, well, I'll irritate you no end as I try to grasp what the hell you're talking about. But, yep, here we go. Doing grain, a social media storm continues. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Doing grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.